Good morning. It's good to be back at Bethany. I told my children this morning that I'm pretty sure that this is the first Mennonite church I ever set foot in. That was a few years ago now. And it's always special to come back. I struggled somewhat with what to share this morning. And over the last several days, uh, over this week, I guess, really, I've been struggling with uh, worry, with fear of uncertainties, um, and uh, focusing on the uncertainties of life that I see ahead. And um, I like the song we sang right after Sunday school class. We have an anchor. Early in the week, a coworker said to me, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And later in the day, I was again uh, falling into um, obsessing about some of the things I saw on the horizon that were bothering me. And I thought, well, the road to anywhere is paved with uncertainties. And... Um, we're going to look at a few verses in 1 Peter 2 this morning to start. Over the last year or so, 1 Peter 2 has been brought up a fair bit um, in sermons, in conversations, in debates. Um, specifically, we're going to look at the verses... Um, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'm guessing you've heard these a lot and probably looked through these a few times on your own over these last nine months or so. Um, we're going to read them again, and then we're going to really focus in on one phrase. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Something I glossed over in most of my visiting these verses is a little phrase in verse 17, fear God. Fear. I want you for the next, well, I'm going to give you about 60 seconds of silence to contemplate the question, what are you most tempted to fear in your life? So the question is, what are you most tempted to fear in your life? And um, I want something kind of concrete. And um, if you're taking notes, I'd 
like you to go ahead and write it on your paper. I won't make you say them out loud, so don't get too nervous. So you've got 60 seconds to consider what are you most tempted to fear in your life? Sixty seconds is a long time when you're in a church service and nobody's talking. So really, another way of asking that is if you were going to be afraid of anything in your life, what would it be? And I don't know the things that came to your mind. And I wouldn't say I know any of you terribly well, so I could hardly even start to make guesses. For some, maybe it's heights, flying, germs, snakes, spiders, um, maybe losing someone or something important, maybe losing health or life or job or control, simply. Maybe it's just a fear of the unknown. But we all have specifics we face, specific things that we face that we are tempted to fear. In recent months, for some people, that has been the U.S. presidential election. I've heard some people who feared one candidate, some who feared the other, and some who feared the outcome, no matter who would win. Fear. Does God call us to think this way? Or is being afraid of anything maybe actually the opposite of how God calls us to think? Now, that might depend on how you define fear. If you were on a hike and you found yourself near a rattlesnake, some fear seems appropriate. If not God-honoring, it's at least God-given. Um, Job 26.13 says, By his spirit he adorned the heavens, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. So if I was on a hike and came across a rattler, I would be fearful. I will readily admit that. wouldn't even have to be a rattler for me. Um, but even that thing that I fear is not ultimate. It is still, even, even that snake, as low as it is, is under the authority of God. So in the bigger picture, I fear God, not the snake. Let's jump over to Matthew 10 and see something that Jesus taught about fear. Matthew chapter 10, near the end of the chapter, we're going to start reading at verse 26. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples about fear. We're kind of breaking in Matthew 10, 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Peter wrote the verses we started with. He was here to hear Jesus say, prepare for persecution, but do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear 
God. Don't be afraid of people, even the people who can kill you. So Peter, in the middle of a passage about government, says, fear God. There are many legitimate concerns in the world we live in. We are told many times in Scripture to fear God. And not anything else that I know of. Just a straightforward command. Fear. I think it's over a hundred times through the Old and New Testament we're told to fear God. Straightforward. Um, well, for us, plain English. Um, it's in a couple different languages through the different books. But just straightforward, fear God. Even Satan, we are not told, fear him. We're told to be careful because he walks about like a roaring lion. But we're never told to fear him in the same way we are plainly told, fear God. And this morning, I want to look at three reasons to fear God alone. The title I have on my notes is simply, Fear God. We're going to look at three Fairly basic reasons to fear God alone. The first is we fear God alone because of his ultimate authority. So using 1 Peter 2 as our starting point, we submit to the other authorities, but we don't fear them. We fear God. So um, normally when we think of earthly authorities, we think of government um, different stages in life. We maybe have different amounts and levels of authority in our life. Uh, school children here have their teachers. They have the principal. Um, they have maybe a couple extra layers of authority there. They have their parents. Um, if you are a member of this church, you have committed yourself to be accountable to this church. So there's the authority of the church and the leadership. There are many ways in which earthly powers have some authority over your life. But God alone has authority over your body and soul. Consider the three Hebrew boys who faced the fiery furnace in King Nebuchadnezzar. They acknowledged that the king, in a way, held their life in his hands, but then they pointed to God above and how he truly held their lives, how he held their true lives, their souls. You notice they didn't say, we knew that we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't lose our physical lives. They didn't. They didn't say that. They didn't, they didn't indicate that they felt the promise that God had told them, well, you'll, you'll walk out fine. They just knew that walking into that fire, their soul was in God's hand, and everything else didn't matter. They were anchored in that. We also have King Darius and Daniel with the lion's den. In Daniel 6, 26, King Darius makes an interesting decree. This is after um, people wanted to get Daniel in trouble. They got the king to put the law into place, saying that you could only bow your knee to worship the king. Daniel kept doing what he always did. He knelt before God, just like he had for who knows how many days in a row before. 
Um, I think Daniel was probably one who had quite a streak going. Um, if it, even something like this wouldn't, uh, wouldn't take him from it. And so Daniel knelt before his window and prayed to God just like he always did, and he faced the punishment of the lion's den. God spared not just Daniel's soul, but he spared Daniel's physical life. And afterward, the king says this in Daniel 6.26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. Now that seems like a pretty unenforceable law to me, but it shows how the king himself came to see that God alone is the one, the only thing or person, the only entity to be feared. Fear God, not anything else. And in the context of 1 Peter 2, he's talking about governmental authority. So fear God, not anything else, not even government. I can, no, I, I have to admit that over this last year, um, looking at what my uh, logic would tell me was in store, no matter what the result of the election, um, I probably had an unhealthy fear of government for all too many times. Um, fear God, not anything else. And so everything you might be tempted to fear, remember this, it is under the ultimate authority of God. Everything that you might be tempted to fear, that is under the ultimate authority of God. Anything or everything that came to mind in that long silence a little bit ago when you were thinking about where are your temptations to fear, there is nothing you could have put on that list that is not under the ultimate authority of God. One of my fears is snakes. Now, of course, I'm using fear um, in the more primal way. Um, I don't like snakes at all. Um, doesn't matter that they're valuable. Doesn't matter that, uh, yeah, I just, no. And... The author David Platt tells a story of a time years ago when he was going into Sudan. Um, he shares my fear of snakes. And uh, he was going into Sudan, this was years ago before it split uh, and South Sudan was formed. And in the South, uh, the Christians there were under very heavy persecution and he was with a group of people who were going in to minister to the, uh, the Christians there, the missionaries, the leaders, um, to try to, to just help um, build them up. And so they had, uh, they had been going through a lot of training. They had local guides that were with them, um, talking them through the various things they would face and how to deal with different problems and risks, and then the night they were supposed to fly um, and actually go land in Sudan and go off into 
the wilds. Um, the main guide said, we, we need to talk about uh, one more risk. And uh, David said he thought they had discussed a sufficient amount of risk already, but the guide said, we need to talk about snakes and snake bites. And he went on to say that something like seven out of the 10 uh, most dangerous venomous snakes in the world would be in the region where they were going to be. And uh, this is what to look for and some things you can avoid. And he said, um, we do have a snake bite kit, but it doesn't work for these kind of snakes. And so someone raised the obvious question of, well, then what do we do if someone gets bit? He says, well, you pray. And uh, David says, that really tests your theology of prayer when you're told that. He couldn't sleep that night. Um, and so he got up, and he opened his Bible, and he went to the Psalms because he needed comfort. And he ended up memorizing Psalm 91 again that night, in part because of verse 13. Psalm 91:13 says, You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. And uh, he, he entered the next day without sleep, but with that clutched tightly in his heart. And they uh, got in a little puddle jumper plane and landed on this really rough strip alongside a river. And uh, everybody piled out, and they got into a little uh, homemade-looking canoe that the locals had put on the side, the May float. Um, and they rode across a, uh, they were told, an alligator-infested river in the May float to get to the other side, where there was a Land Rover waiting for them to take them off into, uh, into the wilds. And they got across, and they were told, well, there's not enough room for everybody in the Land Rover. We need a couple people up on top on the luggage rack. They thought, well, that'll be fun. And so he got up there and was on top of the Land Rover, and they headed for the trees. And then he remembered that the evening before, after all the snake warnings, um, somebody started telling stories about how, yes, there was a, there was a guy walking his cattle and uh, some sort of viper or uh, one of the mambas or something uh, came down out of the tree and bit three cows in a row and they just fell over right there on the path and, uh, and then he realized well they were headed for the trees and here he is up on top of the land rover and here come the branches about uh, head height and he said he went through those trees just calling out you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot and he just looked every direction and just kept repeating that over and over and over. He made it through fine. Is that what I do when I face something scary, something fearful, something that tempts me to fear in my life? Do I take the scripture of God's word and say, this has no authority over my life? God does. God will choose how to deal with this. Any and every fear in your life, you hold to God's sovereignty and his ultimate authority. Because we fear God alone, who has ultimate authority, we have total security in him. Proverbs 14.26 says this, 
Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. That is a promise. We're going to look at a few verses in Isaiah, starting in Isaiah 8. Considering how God is the ultimate authority, he is the ultimate authority, he has ultimate authority, everything is under him, under his control and authority. We'll start in Isaiah chapter 8 with verse 13. Isaiah 8, 13, the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Fear God, fear God alone. Now let's go over to chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. We'll start with verse 9. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Jumping down to verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? Through the whole book of Isaiah, there's just over and over again, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, and fear God. Um, Brother James mentioned using physical uh, objects to get spiritual concepts across. Um, if I was more ambitious, I would have tried to bring a bucket and a dropper. Um, if you would imagine a five-gallon bucket up here and say a little medicine dropper and you reach into that bucket and pull out a drop and drop that on the lectern here that's all the nations of the world compared to God it says all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. Why do I fear the goings-on of the U.S. political system or changes uh, in the board members at work or on the management team or what have you? Whatever thing comes your way, um, that you are tempted to fear that looks very big to you and may in all practical or human logic be a pretty big thing. How does that compare to being under the authority of the Almighty God? Can he not handle it? Can he not work with it what ought to be done? Let's keep going down in verse 22. Isaiah 40, verse 22, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing and makes the judges of the earth useless. 
not to oversell my concerns about the U.S. political situation, but this, these verses resonated with me, um, reading them in late October, early November. There is no one who can thwart God. There is no one who can take my soul from his hand. Do not fear, but fear God. Jumping down into chapter 41, starting at verse 10. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jumping down to verse 12, you shall seek him, seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing as a non-existent thing. The one who holds the nations in his hand is the one who helps us. We are dwelling in a secure fortress. God, we fear God and fear God alone because he has ultimate authority. But the fear of God is not good only because of his ultimate authority. Probably all of us have had experiences with, um, what's the right term, miswielded authority, um, abused authority. Um, probably all of us have experienced it in some way and probably know people who have, who have had it even worse than us. Some people have been in... Um, abused authority situations with parents, um, with employers, with officials um, of the government. God is not that way. So yes, we fear him and we, we acknowledge his ultimate authority, but we, for the second point, we fear God alone because of his ultimate justice. God is just he is the he is the source he is the the embodiment um, of of justice think of peter writing what he wrote in first peter 2 when he says fear god right there in the midst of talking about earthly authority and government The first people to read that may have said, wait, what, don't be afraid of Nero? Fear God? The rulers in the days of Peter were scary. Even if you just think, even without getting into the sociopaths, psychopaths like Nero, um, just look at the account of Jesus going to the cross and, and the way the, the leaders of that time mishandled justice. The leaders of that time were scary, the rulers of that time. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, Therefore do not fear them. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. 
Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We don't expect this world to be perfectly just. Instead, we wait for perfect justice in the world to come. We know that there will be a day of judgment in which true justice will happen. But we don't expect this world to be perfectly just. We're, we have no disillusions of that. I say we have no disillusions of that. Sometimes I can, can fall into the trap of thinking maybe we can have true justice on this earth. We desire it. We do justly. But we know this world is full of injustice. Back in 1 Peter 2, a little bit after the verses we read to start. In 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 22. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus was perfect. He did not strike out for justice in his life. He didn't call for an appeal uh, with Pilate. He did not get sidetracked in, in seeking out justice for his own life. He held to his trust of his father. He did not threaten. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. If Jesus could do in his situation, Peter says, this is what we're called to. He says, this is what we do also. In Exodus 14, uh, verse 31, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. That word believed um, is also sometimes translated trusted. Fear and trust go together when we look at God. We can struggle. We, we can really struggle sometimes with trying to grasp how God is sovereign and, and we still see the, the injustices we see in the world around us. God alone will have the last word. We are on a trajectory, we are on a path to true justice. You and I, each of us, will one day stand before God. He is our judge, and he's the ultimate authority. Too many people are banking on relative good to get them through that day. God is just. He will do what is right. Full stop. Third, we fear God alone because of his ultimate goodness. God in his authority and his justice has sent Jesus, has raised him from the dead, and has reconciled you to himself. 
When we think of God's ultimate goodness, how can we not think about how God and his authority sent Jesus, raised him from the dead, and reconciled us to him? I can't think of who wrote it. Um, not that long ago, I, I read... Uh, read something, I was talking about the love of God and how we always, we always want to dig a little deeper into something. And so um, we want to know why God loved us. Uh, we, we want to know why this happened, that happened. And we look at um, God loved us before we loved him, God loved us, and we want to know, well, why? Why would God love us? The deepest we can dig is just to always come back to God loved us because he loved us. God loves us because he loves us. There is no, there is no um, block we can find deeper than that. It, it just always comes back to, well, his reason for loving us is that he loves us. We can't find, well, because X, Y, Z, God loved us. It's simply God loves God's ultimate goodness shows and explains how God and his authority sent Jesus, raised him from the dead, and reconciled us to him. Psalm 34 is, it gets dangerous saying which psalms are familiar and which aren't, um, but a very common psalm, Psalm 34, verse 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Verse 10 is another example of um, a word picture. Think of... Think of what came to mind back in the days of King David as somebody talked about the lions. You know, we're talking the, what was generally considered one of the most majestic animals prowling about. Um, even today, they're called the king of the jungle. Um, even the young, healthy, robust lions, they lack. They can suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. He took the picture of, of strength and, and self-sufficiency of a lion and said, even they can lack, but you won't if you seek God. Trust in him, fear him, and there is no want to those who fear him. And so because we fear God alone, who is ultimately good, we find delight in him, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is the fountain of ultimate goodness. When I first sat down and, and looked through and, and started compiling a number of these verses, um, I didn't know who was elected to be the next president of the U.S. I was first working on this between election day and that weekend, um, working through some of my own uncertainties and concerns 
and, and trying to, to come back to the Scripture, trying to take that example of, of calling out the Scripture as my anchor, um, well, using Scripture to call out God as my anchor, and it was still raging. Everybody was yelling and arguing. Well, that hasn't all settled down yet, but everybody was yelling even more loudly then um, about who was going to be the president and um, how everything was going to pieces no matter what. And We need to rejoice that security is not found in a candidate or a political party or a constantly changing government. I have grown up in a pretty stable time. When, I, when you just look, look around at, at the world around me, I have grown up in a pretty stable time. Um, yeah, I'm 34. I was trying to think, um, how many years have I been around? Not a lot has happened in the last 34 years. You have 9-11 as a big disruption, um, and yes, there have been some things happening, and now we will be the ones who tell our grandchildren and possibly great-grandchildren, I was there for the great pandemic of 2020. Um, I've had a really stable life. And I have allowed a lot of my emotional, mental, and spiritual stability to start to tie into that structure around me. Every four to eight years, you get a new president. None of them can mess up it so bad. Congress and the senators don't really seem to do all that much. And so nothing, I mean, everything just keeps going. It's like a flywheel. You know, life just keeps on moving. Momentum keeps going. Everything's stable. Everything's good. We need to rejoice this morning that security isn't in the government around us. It isn't in our employment. It isn't in a candidate. Our security is in God. That is our anchor. That is what holds us and keeps us from moving no matter what happens. Our trust is in the coming justice of God. Our delight is not in who wins or loses an election. Our fear and delight is in the one who holds it all. We'll close by looking at Psalm 33. Psalm 33. We'll start reading at verse 16. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. No mighty army, nothing other than God looking down on you is going to be the solution for you. The only solution for you, no matter what you face, is the eye of the Lord on you. And the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy.
So don't look to the things around you. Don't look to your job. Don't look to um, even your family or the U.S., President Trump, Vice President Biden. Don't look for any of that for what you need. Look to God. Fear God. Fear God alone. Thank you for your time and attention. God bless you. Can we have a song, please?